never met a grit I liked. That was his line. I've never met a grit I liked. I started to think about that. And I was like, well, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense because a grit is useless. Right? A single grit is useless. You've got to have a bunch of them. Right? They've got to be a bunch of them together. One grit. I don't even know what one grit would even look like. It'd be very small. You have to... With, with butter. Oh, yeah, it's got to have butter. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You've got you to add stuff. It's kind of bland otherwise. Um, but, 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 but together, when you put them all together, they're actually not that bad. And I started thinking about things that really are better in bunches, that kind of the sermon title, better in bunches. I thought about flowers, and I didn't play in this, but this worked out really nice. Like these flowers, an individual flower here, the very small, is pretty. But a whole bunch of them together way prettier. An individual rose is nice, but a, a bouquet of roses, you know, it, it just adds to the fullness. They're better in bunches. A lot of things, and you can think of things, and you probably are, that are in better in bunches. Um, a cashew is better in a whole bunch, <laughs> you know? That's, that's better. A bunch, one cashew, okay, but a whole bunch of them, much, much better. Um, dollars, I prefer bunches of them. <laughs> They're better. They're better in bunches. One dollar's good, but if I have a whole bunch, yay. If I have a whole bunch, I won't have very long because I have two kids and a wife who raids my wallet all the time. But um, I've been spending this weekend getting in trouble, just so you know. I'm just adding on to an entire weekend of it. Um, dollars are better in bunches. Uh, flowers are better in bunches. Cashews are better in bunches. Grits are better in bunches. Christians are better in bunches. Christians are, Christians are better in bunches. We're better together. Uh, there, there was a, a song years ago that, that I, I came across, I don't remember, but it was like, me and Jesus got it all figured out. And, and the course of me and Jesus don't need anyone else. Well, I understand why people would think that, but understand that's not what the Christian faith has ever been about. John Wesley said that the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. It's never meant to be about you and Jesus exclusively. That's an important part of it. We all have a personal relationship we're called to with Christ. That does matter. But, but then, in that faith, we're always called into a community. From Genesis 12, when, when the story of God's people starts to focus in on Abram, or Abraham, and, and his descendants, all the way through the scriptures, it's always about a community. Now, there's individual stories in the community, but, but it's never about being called to, be, to live on an island. Because we're better when we're faithful, we're better in bunches. We're better. Our impact and what we can do and, and the way that God can use us is better when we are unified as a larger body. That can be a few. That can be hundreds or thousands. But we are better in bunches. And our testifying to the resurrection of Christ is more powerful. And that's where we turn today. We turn to, to Acts chapter 4. And this is a... Um, this is a story, this section of the, of the text comes on the, the heels of the day of Pentecost. So it's the day the Holy Spirit had come upon the disciples. It's the birth of the church and following Peter's powerful sermon. And uh, when this came up, this is actually one of the, the, the readings for the Sunday after Easter. I didn't just randomly pet pick this one out of a hat. This is one of the prescribed readings for the day. And when I saw it pop up, I thought, well, that's kind of odd, because that's always attribute this as a, more of a Pentecost theme. Uh, but it's, it's one of the texts that is recommended to be read the, weekend, the week after the celebration of Easter. And, and I think as we unpack this a little bit, it'll start to make sense. So let's read these, these verses, 32 through 35, Acts chapter 4. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. 
No one claimed that any one of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Friends, sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we, we pray your blessing on the reading of your word here and, and help us to understand, to, to be strengthened in faith, called in obedience, and, and joined together as the body of Christ. This is our prayer, and we ask it in your holy name. Amen and amen. So, so again, back to that initial challenge for me. When, when I read the scripture, is why would this text come up on the Sunday after Easter? And as I read through it again, one verse jumped out at me as the, the unifying verse of, of this, this section. As it's kind of the foundational verse of this section, and it's verse 33. It says this, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. With great power, they continued to testify to the Lord Jesus Christ, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. And when we talk about them all, now we're talking about not just the, the apostles, but, but the church. So, of course, that is exactly what we would want to focus on all the time, not just on the Sunday after Easter. But the Sunday after Easter, we, we generally talk about those events that, that gave credibility, if you will, to the resurrection of Jesus, the appearances of Christ, or the testimony of those who had seen him or walked with him or experienced his resurrected presence. And so even though we're, we're a little bit further out from, from the resurrection now, that's, that's the foundational key. The church, those early Christians, those earlier followers of Christ, the foundation of their existence was their testimony, the testimony of their lives to the resurrection of Jesus and the testimony of their unified faith or their joined together faith. And so as I read that, I started to look at the text. I thought there's two Truths that, that start to become apparent here. Not that they testified, but how they testified. See, because when I read that kind of a verse, when I hear somebody say they testified or, or somebody was giving their testimony, um, I, I think of a, of a verbal affirmation. Something that somebody said. Somebody stood up and, and talked about their faith or talked about what God had done in their life or talked about the power of Christ and, and kind of gave a sermon or a, or a personal reflection or or share their experiences. And, and that is certainly part of what the apostles were doing, no doubt about it. They were out proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. But what we get in this section is not testimony based on words, but the testimony of the church. And when I say church, I just mean those early followers of Jesus. The testimony of the church, not through their words, but through the way that they were living a resurrection faith, the way that they were um, following Jesus through actions. And there are two things that, that jump out here. And the first is this, that they testified to Christ through their unity. They testified to Christ through their unity. The very first verse, all the believers were one in heart and mind. All the believers were one in heart and mind. They were 
unified. And how that lived out is where we'll go next. But, but that's where we want to start. Their testimony was their unity. Here's where that begins to get tough. The church grew. And from Acts chapter 4 and continuing on, the church grows. And as the church grows, unity gets harder. We hear that. We hear that a lot. We, we need to be unified. Uh, Psalm 133, how pleasing it is um, when God's people are, are of one heart and one mind, how pleasing that is to the Lord. That's what the 133rd Psalm, the first verse says. It pleases the Lord when we are unified. Scriptures repeatedly talk about that. Paul talks about it in, in one of my favorite and most often cited um, scriptures, Philippians 2, uh, you know, make my joy complete. Make my joy complete by being unified. One call, one purpose, one mind. And, and we find that admonition throughout scriptures, to be unified. The problem is as the church grows, that gets harder. You know, as, as our church grows just here, it gets harder. You know, the more people come, the more opinions, perspectives, life experiences we have. How do we find unity? And I think part of the challenge is understanding what unity looks like. Uh, there, there was a, a, a cartoon I saw that, that was just a silly little cartoon, but it, it was um, town hall, and it was, they were voting on a measure, and it said, be it now decreed that from here on out, every citizen of our town will agree with every other citizen on all issues. Right? And then the next quote is, the amendment pa- or the, the, it passes by a slim margin. Okay? So, so catch the, the, the joke there. The fact is that, that, that if that's what unity looks like, if, the, if unity for us is the belief that we all have the same opinion and see the same thing and believe the same thing and have the same perspective, then we're, you know, unity is not even remotely possible. And unity is hard enough as it is. But what's important for us to understand is, is unity is, is a unity of purpose. It's not, it's not a unity of perspective. It's not always a unity of opinion. It's a unity of purpose. It's interesting that in Philippians 2, when Paul talks about that, and he calls the church to be unified, then he goes on to say, have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not grasp equality or did not take equality of God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And what he's going on to say is that the, the nature of Christ was his humility. The nature of Christ, the thing that unifies us, is not that we all think the same. I don't think that would even be a good thing. What unifies us is that we have the same purpose. See, I can be unified with people who think differently than I do when we find our same purpose in serving Christ. And we can find our way through that. We can be unified. And so what Paul says to us, what what the scriptures teach us, is that what unity looks like for us is a willingness to take on humility, which is a willingness to to, to do some of the very same things that Christ calls us to, which is to put others first and ourselves second, and to think higher of others than we do ourselves, and to say, it's not about me. You've heard me say that all the time. Unity happens when we say, yes, I have opinions about this. I I see things from a certain perspective, but it's not all about me. It's about Christ. And how do we together serve Christ? And we can find unity in that when we're willing to take a back seat. Where churches and people and any kind of group gets divided and unity begins to break apart is when people begin to put their own self-interests ahead of others. And that's the opposite of humility. And so the early church, part of their testimony was their unity. 
Part of our testimony is our unity, the way that we are united in our call to serve Christ and to serve the world. And we'll get to the second part of that in just a moment. Now, it's not necessarily something people easily see, our unity. I mean, we have to live into that because uh, people aren't necessarily going to talk about that. But I'll tell you what they will talk about. Be in a church that gets torn apart. Be in a church that begins to turn on each other. And some of you have had that experience. Everybody in the community will know that. That word will travel fast, and it begins to undermine the integrity and the, and the testimony of the church. We are called to be unified. In fact, I want you to hear Christ's prayer for his disciples and for those that would follow him in John chapter 17, beginning at verse 20. This is what Christ says. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. And when he says that, not just the disciples, but he says this, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. So what he's saying is I'm praying for the generations that are going to come after. We're part of that. He says that all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So what becomes the key, what becomes the product of unity, of being united in Christ and each other, is the world would believe. I have given them the glory that you have gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus says, your unity is important because it becomes your testimony, and that's what the church does. That's what the Acts Church does. Their their unity becomes their testimony. They were of one heart and of one mind. So unity becomes their testimony. Here's the second thing. Their charity became their testimony. Their charity, their giving of themselves for others. Here's the key verse, and it starts right at the beginning, right after the unity. It's no mistake. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions as their own, but they shared everything they had. Very on it says, there were no needy persons among them. And then it finishes, they brought what they had, they laid it at the disciples' feet, and it was distributed to everyone who had need. The early church took seriously, as we are called to, the command to care for each other. We, we celebrate Stephen ministry. Stephen ministry is a ministry of caring. It's a ministry of, of ways that, that we live out to. It's one of many ways that we live out this call of the, that we care for each other. Hear me say this, and I've said it before. It is not my job to care for the body of believers. It is our job to care for the body of believers. I'm part of that. I'm part of that. I share that call. But we're called to care for each other. That's what the church did. They cared for each other. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go sell everything you have and bring it to the church. I'm not going to do that, okay? But what I'm saying is that it has to be a top priority. It has to be the priority. How do we testify to Christ by the way that we care for each other? And then that spills out into the world. How do we pick each other up, support each other? One of the greatest joys I have is when I go to visit somebody in the hospital. I experienced this, and, and Renee Tucker does visitation, and she probably has seen this, and, and others, Stephen Ministers, have done hospital visitation. One of my great joys is when I walk in somebody's room, and somebody from the church is already there. Somebody has gone to visit. Somebody is just, you know what, I know so-and-so. I, I've seen them. I, I know who they are. I, I know them personally. You know, I'm going to go see them. I'm going to go care. I'm going to go pray with them. That's awesome. 
That is, that is one of the great moments I have in ministry. Look at that. Somebody already beat me here. That's what the church, that's what we're called to be, to care for each other. We talked about the Jarvis family. How are we called to care for each other? Because we all have that opportunity to do that. We all have that need from time to time. I, I love the visual illustrations we get of this in action. Uh, one of the ones I, I saw this week, it was actually about four or five years old, but it was, a, it was about a young um, at the time, high school track athlete, Megan Vogel is her name, and um, she was a distance runner in Ohio, she ran, and she was competing in the Ohio State um, athletic, or Track Championships. She was running in the 1600 first, and then the 3200 meter races, so about a mile and then a two-mile race. In the one-mile race, she won the, she won the title. She came in first. And so afterwards, she, you know, had interviews and things she had to do. And then was the second race, the 3200, so the two-mile race. And uh, she was going to run it, but she was still, she was still feeling the effects of the one-mile race. You can imagine how much she had to pour out to win that kind of a race at a state championship. So she was, she was, she was gassed. Uh, but she wanted to race it anyway, and she did. And her mom commented that she had never finished last in a race. Well, as this race is coming to the final stages, she was last. And so she said that in her mind, it was like, if I could just get ahead of one person, just beat one person in this race. And she started to come across, come up and started to get closer to that other runner who was next to last, and her name was Arden McMath. She ran for a rival high school. Well, before Megan got to her, Arden collapsed. She had just, she'd spent every ounce of energy she had. She had nothing left. She went down. Some of you who are runners, you know, have probably had that kind of experience. She just bonked. And um, so Megan had that opportunity to pass her, had that opportunity to not at least finish last. And she didn't take it. When she saw, and you've seen this before, when she saw her competitor, she saw this other student had collapsed, she stopped. And she picked her up. And with her arm around her, you know, she placed her arm over her shoulders and together they started to make their way the last quarter um, length of the track. And then when she got to the finish line, as this young lady was, I mean, basically she was almost, you know, carrying her at this point. She stopped and she took Arden and she put her in front and she kind of pushed her across the finish line so that she would finish 15th and Megan would finish 16th. Now, I don't know Megan's faith. There was nothing in there about whether she's a, a follower of Jesus or not. But the image is no less powerful. The reality is that, that part of our call as the body of Christ is to be there when somebody needs to be picked up and carried. Because here's the thing, most of us will need it ourselves. It's a reciprocal gift to care for each other. And that happens internally and externally. That is not just something we do for each other. That is something we seek to do for the world. When we take Jesus seriously at his call in Matthew 25 to care for the least and the lost, hungry, imprisoned, um, sick, to needing clothes. We care for each other. In fact, that became a calling card of the early church. And I, I read a long history, too long to synthesize here, of, of the culture of the Roman world that the church was born into. And compassion was not a virtue. Caring for the, the, the least and the lost was not something that, that the Roman culture valued. If, if that was your plot in life, too bad. And into this, 
the church comes. These followers of Jesus come, and they had a very different worldview. They had a very different ethic, and they decided that they were going to live into what Jesus had told them to do. And it's all in this group of people, these strange followers of Jesus started caring not only for each other, but caring for the people that society had forgotten about. And it became one of the ways that the world noticed the church. It became their testimony. That's our call to testify, to, to, to find unity in purpose. And that is to serve Christ and to love others and to live into that. So how are we testifying to the power of the resurrection? How are we living into that? What's our story? We are better bunched together because we can do so much more. We're not meant to be a grit. We're meant to be a bunch of grits, flavored and tasting good, so that the world can see the power of Christ at work within us. How are we living into that? How are we embracing the opportunity, not just through the words of our testimony, but through the actions of our lives to find unity and to find charity as we give glory to our resurrected Savior? That's our call. And our challenge for all of us, always to ask ourselves, is how we doing? How we doing? We are called in Christ, but we are better in bunches. Amen? All right, let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for your call in Christ. Thank you for your love, and thank you for using us to your glory. We pray that we'd be faithful to that. We, we know we fall short, but may it never stop our striving to find unity and to find charity as we live into the call of Christ. Bless, bless our efforts to your glory. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.